A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won over your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you so that every fact may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. Amen, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, amen, I say to you, If two of you agree on earth about anything for which they are to pray, it shall be granted to them by my heavenly Father. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Gospel of the Lord In today's Gospel, the authority that Jesus gave Peter to bind and to loose, is now extended to the whole church. This is the only other time in the Gospels where Jesus says anything about the church, and, not insignificantly, he brings it up in terms of conflict management. The first step, Jesus says, is for the one who has suffered the hurt to confront the person who has inflicted it. Father Robert Schreider, who has some deep insights into the process of reconciliation, insists that it is the victim, not the perpetrator, who must begin the reconciliation process. The perpetrator only wants to forgive and forget. God begins by restoring the humanity and dignity of the victim, a humanity and dignity which the wrongdoer tried to wrest away from the victim through violence. This restoration of humanity is at the very heart of the Christian understanding of reconciliation, at the very heart of the struggle for human rights. That God would begin with the victim and not the wrongdoer is consistent with divine activity in history, where God takes the side of the poor, the widowed, and the orphan, the stranger, and the imprisoned. Victims become the leaders of the movement towards reconciliation, since they possess the vision that encompassed both the pain of the past and the promise of the future. Restoration does not take us back to where we were before the evil and the violence happened, because simply to take us back would wipe out or ignore what has happened to us or who we have become as a result of that. Reconciliation does not deny or wipe out the experience of injustice and violation, Instead, it represents a transformation of that experience, an experience which will always remain part of who we are. It transforms that experience of violation, of violence, of injustice, from a weight that ties us to a past into a means of moving on to a very different future. We do not forget. We remember in a new way. 
Immediately before today's teaching, Jesus told about a shepherd going in search of a lost sheep. Jesus is describing our Father in heaven, who will do whatever it takes to seek and find what is lost. So, do you think that right after telling this parable of grace, Jesus changes the message in the very next verses? As if to say, yes, I came to seek and save the lost, but there's a limit. Three chances. If you can't get it right after that, tough luck. What does Jesus say we are to do if someone doesn't mend their ways after three chances? If he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. At first glance, this seems to be a call to cut off offenders from the fellowship of the body because Gentiles and tax collectors were the two most despised groups in Jesus' time. But what did Jesus do with tax collectors and Gentiles? Jesus was often judged for eating with tax collectors and sinners. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus tells his disciples, Go, make disciples of all nations. We are sent on mission to the Gentiles. In the 23rd Psalm, the poet begins by speaking about the Lord, my shepherd, who is with me even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In the next verse, the poet writes, You set a table before me in front of my enemies. The old Psalter translation said, You prepare a banquet for me, as if the banquet was a victory celebration over my vanquished foes. But the Hebrew text reads simply, You prepare a table before me. Rabbi Rami Shapiro says, This is a table for meeting and an opportunity for reconciliation. The poet makes this clear by calling his enemies, in Hebrew, Zorai, my narrows, or those who narrow me. It's the same root of Mitzrayim, Egypt. The enemy is anything that narrows, constricts, or enslaves you or others anything that denies and diminishes your true nature as the image of God. The purpose of God's shepherding is to lead you to the table of meeting, where you will confront the powers of narrowness with the command of liberation. There's no script for authentic encounter. There can be no formula for liberating self and others. True meeting happens in that place of not knowing, that place where you cannot hide behind past hurts or present fears, but must be present to what is. And what is, is always another suffering soul, another person, or perhaps another aspect of yourself that is trapped, broken, fearful, and longing for love. When you meet the other and see his or her vulnerability, you discover your own as well. Suddenly there is nothing to fear or defend. There are only tears to shed and broken hearts to mend. John Shea writes, Heaven's agenda is for two disciples on earth, previously alienated, to come together in agreement This is how heaven comes to earth. 
Prayer opens the heart to the Father, and the will of the Father is that the children live in peace. When the children will that too, there is a readiness to receive the Father's love. This love is present where two or three are gathered, not only around their own injuries, but also in the name of Jesus. Jesus is there among them, doing what he always does, breaking down the barriers between people and encouraging the restoration of relationships. Jesus is manifesting the love of God that Paul Tillich once described as the power that drives everything there is toward everything else that is.